So we are, uh, we are going to be in Psalm 112 tonight. It's a bit of an unusual message because usually I love to focus on the New Testament and the cross. Uh, and I, I, love, um, uh, I love whenever we have communion at our church. It's a deep time of deep reflection on the, the blood of Christ and what he has done for us on the cross. And we need to embrace that. And yet we see some, some churches, don't we, that have, uh, and I think Pastor Bill alluded to it this morning, um, and, and, and um, churches that are not really, uh, for a variety of reasons, are not embracing it. It's not something that's popular. Um, but we see other things, too. Remember, I don't know if you read the, the news, but it was about six months ago where the Church of Scotland voted to allow parish ministers and uh, deacons to marry same-sex couples in that church. Um, I guess in the States it's no big deal because there's so many churches that have fallen in that regard, but this is the church of John Knox, okay? You would have expected something a little bit different, um, but we understand that, right? It's not, it's not the only one. In fact, we seem to be in the minority increasingly, right? Many ministries have started off well um, only to experience eventual ministry drift, sacrificing eternal truth for the sake of temporarily, temporary relevance or cultural or societal shifts. At Sunset Solutions, we're very keen to this issue of ministry drift. Our leadership last quarter studied a book uh, titled Ministry Drift because uh, we have baked into our bylaws and everybody that, that uh, comes on staff must sign on to not only our statement of faith but a, our biblical position on contemporary issues, which includes sexuality and a bunch of other things that really in many cases will cause someone that uh, of a different persuasion to say, no, I ain't working here. So I have to ask, though, um, with, all, with our church, this church here, Cornerstone, and my mission, um, can we and will we stand firm on the essentials while we can stay relevant um, as we minister? I think it's an interesting balance. I think we do have to stay relevant in terms of technology. Look, we're on the, on the cutting edge in some cases of technology, and I'm all for using all the tools God gives us. Uh, for the propagation of the gospel and the ministering to people. I hope you're there with me um, in, in that. And yet, I am not for budging one inch um, on these issues that are dividing churches. In Elkhart and in Goshen, where I live, the Mennonite church split on this very issue of same-sex couples. And that when it happened, uh, this was a couple of years ago, it absolutely shocked me. Um, because uh, of the respect I formerly had for the Mennonite church, despite my, my theological differences. But, folks, we need to face something here. We are, each one of us here is theoretically vulnerable. We need help if we're going to steer a steady middle ground in ministry and individually. Where's that line in the sand that you draw where you say you will never go over and then you don't go over? Where is that? You don't have to answer that. Think in your minds, where is that line? Do you have a line? Um, I would challenge in particular the students that are here because even at Cedarville, you're going to encounter uh, maybe differences of thought that are going to challenge you. When I, uh, Gene and I, my wife and I met at, at Wheaton, it was a hard, hard thing 
um, that smacked me in the face the first day I was at school because Wheaton wasn't the conservative bastion I thought it was. I got beat up, um, and uh, and it, it it hurt. It hurt. Gene handled it better than I did. Um, and Cedarville and others are no exception in some cases. How do we steer a steady middle ground? And then consider this issue of social media and the lone wolf. As you get more on your devices, you get more lonely. As you get more on Facebook, you, you, you are less prone to talk to people in real terms. And lone wolf Christians tend to be devoured by wolves, aren't they? They are. I, I, look, I don't mean to be offensive to anybody here, but I stand by that um, theologically and in my general observation on people and myself. And so it's one reason why I think the Lord provides us shepherds himself and then people and pastors in our lives um, and leaders who can help us. And though the word for pastor, of course, literally means shepherd. I think we know that. And what are some duties of a spiritual shepherd? Well, it's, it's, there are many. And I know Pastor Bill, like many good pastors, have long days and many responsibilities and hats. But I'm going to focus on one right now. A helmsman. Now, if that surprises you, Paul described Christ's role in bringing us to the Father in nautical terms in Ephesians 2.8, uh, where he says, For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Access being a safe haven for ships. That was, that's really what that term means, a safe haven for ships. Look, in Paul's time, safe havens were very important because you know what? In the Mediterranean, in particular, the seas could be dangerous, right? Paul went through four shipwrecks. First-hand experience from Paul, right? He detailed some of them in, in Acts, some of them in Second Corinthians. And he uses that image in, in First Timothy to describe how some who have weakened in their faith, have experienced disaster in their lives. Remember how Demas left? Uh, Alexander had his faith shipwrecked. We don't know why, but their faith was shipwrecked. And folks, a shipwreck usually starts with something. What is it? Rough seas, right? And so Paul's counsel to the Ephesians was not to be like ships on the sea, Quoting here in 4.14, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Um, And then James says the same thing about someone who doubts. So, folks, we all need course corrections at times and certainly in days, difficult days like these. Um, and, And these are difficult times, aren't they, for the believer? Aren't they? Aren't they? We're being pushed hard to compromise. And I, and I know with Pastor Bill and others at the helm, this church isn't going to compromise or be quiet or keep the truth to yourselves. But we can be pushed individually, personally, to compromise, to be quiet or keep the truth to ourselves. Let's face it, we're seeing a lot of things these days that can be alarming, especially to the believer. And so I want to give some hope uh, this evening. And that hope is actually found in the 112th Psalm. Feel free to turn there um, if you would. I'm going to be going in, in, uh, in, into various verses in that. Now, this psalm is a traditionally attributed to David, although it, he's not actually on the uh, subtitle. But it does bear some similarities in language and form to what he definitely wrote. Um, so most likely the backdrop is sometime during the life of this, this king, 
who lived through a lot of turmoil and a lot of bad news. We, we've read through, I'm sure you've read through 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, all the time David spent in the wilderness where he was hunted. He thought he was, he was going to be killed. Um, his own kins, kinsmen uh, were, were, would uh, uh, betray him to the king. So he had plenty of his own bad news and turmoil and pressure. So, through all the turmoil and duress and fire that we have, the mature believer has to learn to lean harder on the rock. And this is, I think, the recurring theme in the Psalms and in our passage here in the 112th. And I, I, I want the kind of trust the psalmist has expressed here to not be afraid of bad news, but instead cast myself on the kindness of a sovereign Lord. You know, Psalm 12 is one of praise. But if you look at it more, it also exposes some darker sides of life, and then it balances it really well. So it explores the tensions of the lighter and the darker sides of life in the backdrop of the very kind sovereignty of God. And it encourages us to look way beyond the bad news of the day. You guys... Um, we, we know about what, what news does. Is, is, is it good news that sells? <laughs> no, no, it's, it's bad news. Bad news that sells, uh, for sure. And, and we, can, we can watch our Fox News or whatever it is and really uh, think that um, this world is flying apart when we have a sovereign God who's holding it together. Not only holding it together, but I think even allows and ordains things we wish were not so. This is all in the sovereignty of God, looking way beyond the so-called bad news of the day to praise the God who made the day. And indirectly, it also encourages us to bake these things into our lives in such a way to mature spiritually, I believe, to stretch us into a deeper relationship with the Lord and new ways where we can be channels of blessing to those around us. I'll get into the, uh, verse 1 in just a moment here. But did you ever consider how God uses the negative things more than the positive in your life to grow, mature, and bring us to the next level? I've seen that played out repeatedly in, in life and ministry. One of the most profound influences in my own personal social development as an introvert came uh, as a student in school. I auditioned for a nighttime slot at the radio station there at, at Wheaton. Uh, and they handed me a really long paper with an enormous number of personal names in the form of a news report and, and, and said, go ahead and read this, and if you can get through that, you got the job. And I, I don't know how I made it through. I just, I just butchered it. But I made it through. Said, yeah, you're in. Um, but the reality check came. Really, I was the only guy for that job. It was Friday night. Nobody else wanted it. And so I was thrown to the wolves. And the radio station had a whole bunch of vinyl that, that you know, you guys remember vinyl? It was a whole big uh, library of it, but it was kind of eh, sketchy. There were skips on records and stuff. The stuff was beat up, and you never know when a record was, was going to skip. So for three hours, I had to put the record on and go like this and wait for the, it to skip and then push my thing down, my finger down on it when it did skip so hopefully folks wouldn't notice as it was playing on the radio. I had to be constantly vigilant, and it seemed like a thankless job. Uh, and I gave, gave up every Friday night when I could have gone out with my friends uh, I had no one else there to help. 
And you wondered, I wondered after a while, what did I get myself into? And what was the Lord doing in this? Well, he was teaching me some valuable lessons from that time, how to present myself, how to speak confidently, how to be vigilant, how to pay attention to detail, and how to prepare well and learn to do everything. And you know what my future wife uh, said to me the first night of the broadcast? I don't know if you remember this, hon. You know, you got a pretty nice radio voice. <laughs> it was really good to hear that because I, I, I was terrified on that first night. And so it took a while to see that experience through the eyes of faith. And, I, and God transformed me um, in, in that. And, um, and, and here I am in the pulpit. You know, I'm, I'm, Pastor Bill's let me preach. It's pretty cool. So let's, uh, we're going to look at this psalm and it gives perspective here, encouraging us to stand firm, but also to be channels of blessing. And so the psalmist starts in verse 1 with the sweeter side of life as he says, Praise the Lord. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. He fears the Lord both from the reverence angle and the fear, not of the lightning bolt of an angry God, but one uh, that, that I might incur the displeasure of a loving father. Like when we sin, I'm not worried about God's lightning bolt. I just, I, I barely want to look my father in the eye when I stumble. And so baked into the verse is the encouragement to delight in his commands. When's the last time you delighted in God's commands and you didn't think they were a burden? Isn't that wonderful? Psalm 19 is all about delighting yourself in God's commands. And that's how God meant it to be, not a burden, but a delight. A delight. And if we're going to be delighting in obedience, it means over time, of course, we're sinning less, we're accountable, we're humble, and we're open about our weaknesses and our sins. Sanctification, of course, is progressive, and we're not secretly indulging in our flesh, folks. We take the clerical collar off before an omniscient, omnipresent Lord, putting to death the deeds of the flesh by the power of the Holy Spirit, and we delight in obedience to a God who delights in his children. You know, last summer, Gene said to me, um, Hey, John, I got this friend in, uh, in Warsaw, Indiana, who goes to this church. Did you hear about... I'm like, what? what? Stop. Please don't tell me your friend went to that church where the pastor admitted adultery with an underage girl. Yep, that was the one. I don't know if you guys read the news on that. It made national news. She says, how in the world does that happen when it can go on even inside the church? And I said, well, we're not always holding our shepherds accountable. When they have long periods of time behind closed doors, they're supposed to be studying and that's why the pastor at our sending church, uh, Pastor Bill, you know who he is, made it always a habit uh, to not close that door. And, and when, you had, um, when he was counseling women, uh, his wife was there uh, 100% of the time. So, I mean, this, this issue of this, this pastor and the underage girl, man, it, it just hits close to home because if judgment's going to begin at God's house, that house better be in order starting with the shepherds, right? Before you know, if, it's, if it's not going to fall apart. So we, we know ourselves enough not to trust ourselves to be immune, folks. We seek strength from God daily to not just do, but delight in obedience, knowing we're going to reap a blessed harvest if we don't give up. Now let's look at this blessed harvest. I'm going to skip down to verse 4. Light arises in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious and compassionate and righteous. 
Verse 5, it is well with the man who is gracious and lends. He will maintain his cause in judgment. And the psalmist here speaks from experience. He sees good fruit that trusting in God can produce in a person. Because he's trusted in the Lord, in some sense he is prospering. And in his life, there's a direct blessing on people all around him. There's this beautiful positive ripple. And he projects this aura of grace in his daily interactions, despite the pressures and the tensions of life. Isn't that wonderful? This, this, is, um, this is how it is to be for believers. And you know, he has some wisdom on resource stewardship as well. So if folks have a need, he can help out. He's not just living paycheck to paycheck. He's got something there ready to help out folks who are in need, not waiting for the church or the government to help out. But then the psalmist nudges the other side in the next verse here. Verse 6, For he will never be shaken. The righteous will be remembered forever. And then verse 7, He will not fear evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. The psalmist can make a bold statement like this. Why? Because he has seen what a life of trust in the Lord's goodness and sovereignty does in a person. It's baked into scripture, and so he wants us to have that life as well. Folks, if you're a technically-minded person like I am who needs a plan, we, we can spend a lot of time creating scenarios in our head, contingencies, so when bad news comes, we're prepared, we think. But anyone can have a prepared trust rooted in a controlled environment, one that we imagine is controlled. What the psalmist is saying is very different from this. It's only when the unforeseen comes when we realize that actually we were trusting in a world of our own making and not the God who is sovereign over all. When we construct scenarios, we're really unable to live a fruitful life the psalmist is talking about here. A life of trust in the Lord that leads to a life of blessing toward those around us. And folks, I'm not closing my eyes to reality. To get to this godly life of trust doesn't mean I'm pretending the worst can't happen to me or to you. It just means we're trusting in a fixed reality that can't be moved when the bad news comes. And you know who can't be moved. This is a God, a sovereign God, who will not be moved because he's not shaken by bad news that he knew was coming. We know that life in a fallen world means our worst nightmare can happen. It just can. And the antidote to fearing the worst is not ignoring the reality because that's not going to support us when we get that phone call, that diagnosis, that dreaded C word. I don't mean COVID. The psalmist's heart is instead rooted in in God who is Lord over all and unchanging. And so come what may, he's going to trust. And bad news may come, but he doesn't need to fear because he knows who God is not because of what he thinks he can control. We're able to remain firm because of something outside of ourselves. So when bad news comes, we anchor firmly to the rock. So these storms of life rage all around. We're steady and we're safe. And it doesn't disrupt our, our, our faith, our doctrine. And what is it about the Lord that helped the psalmist trust When he thought of bad news, it goes back to the beginning of the psalm when he tells us that the blessed life is one who finds what? Great delight in God's commands. 
And this is a message woven through the book of Psalms, starting in Psalm 1. Remember Psalm 1? It was one of the first Psalms I memorized. Blessed is the man who walks not on the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. That word, again, and the psalmists, again, are not glossing over the reality of life in a broken world. They're confronting it head on. And sometimes they do it with a stream of questions and complaints poured out to God, sometimes with, uh, with resolute trust. Sometimes they, they mix it all up because life can be a jumbled mess of trust and grief. But the bedrock foundation that keeps them going is the delight in God and his word. And they meditate on it, and they know it, and they're sustained by it, and as a result, they're less prone to fear. They hope in God, and they know they will one day praise him, even if they aren't right now, even if it's hard. And the Psalms assure us that we're not alone in our life struggles. Clearly, countless others throughout history have grappled with a sense of loneliness in the storm, right? And this is the beauty of the Word of God, isn't it? The, the Word of God never sugarcoats, does it? Never does. It, there's no false or illusory hope here. We're reminded that we're not, we, we aren't the first to be dealing with sin or staring down the, the tunnel of suffering or wondering how God's going to work it all out. We're joined to a great cloud of witnesses, Hebrews 11, that found him sufficient to keep them all the way to the end. That's our anchor when bad news scares us. And so when we're afraid of the outcome of the diagnosis, you know what? We can go to a psalm like Psalm 145. Psalm 145.9 and read, The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he's made. And when we have these fears that, that, are, that they, they, they consume us, we can go to a psalm like Psalm 46. God is our strong refuge. He's our helper in times of trouble. When we're staring death or danger in the face, and some of us may, health issues, we remember how the, how, the, how the Psalms start out. Certainly the Lord guards the way of the godly, Psalm 1-6. And the way we cope is by knowing God. The way we know God is by knowing his word. And again, it's bad news that sells, but Psalm 2 reminds us there's a king ruling over all these things and he delivers us from fear and he gives us words to cope in our wrestling with fear and anxiety and it might scare us, but it's not going to destroy us. Amen? And little by little, and especially this past year, God is working this into me. And you know what? A, A year ago, I was struggling with the second fruit of the Spirit. Anybody know what it is? Joy. I thought it was the hardest fruit to grapple with. And, and, and I, I, had my, I had all of these things rushing at me in life, and robbing me of joy, and realizing that um, God is the source of joy. And this isn't my life circumstance that's robbing me. I've never looked back. I have never looked back after that, after one year in dealing with the sin of of. Uh, of not experiencing the joy of the Lord. Yes, bad news. I can say it now. Bad news might come, but the Lord can be trusted. The author of life loves me perfectly. He's faithful. He holds it together. And then the psalm ends with the faithful, anchored, gracious response of the believer to life's wins. That results in a good reputation. 
Verse 9. He has distributed, excuse me, he has given freely to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is, will be exalted in honor. And I'll stop there. When we see even life's difficulties, more with the eyes of faith, that's when, we, when um, the believer can open their hands freely. Maybe you have financial hardships, but um, the believer is ready to have an open hand to those that are in need. This is God's design, sharing generously of time and, and resources um, in these times of trouble. And there's a reputation that's gained. Um, someone who is living by the faith they uh, profess, right? I'm not just saying, hey, brother, stay you know, warm and filled. What's that verse in James? Um, brother, stay warm and filled, and uh, you haven't really done anything. Um, no. No. I'm thankful for the, uh, as, as Jean and I have lived a life of faith now for 12 years. You guys, and a few of us, have, uh, of you have asked us, uh, tell us about how you came onto the mission field and this the issue of raising support and stuff. I, I left a big salary to do, to do this. It's like, this is, is this, some people thought it was foolish, it's living a life of faith. And, and guess what? God's faithful people have stepped up and through the COVID era have faithfully supported where we're at. And then Cornerstone comes alongside us completely unexpectedly at a, uh, and, and actually at a, at a great time of need. And I wasn't going to, uh, I, I didn't say too much, but you, you, the Lord knows. And through this church, you've blessed us. And I know some of you are giving sacrificially. This is what God's people do. It's a beautiful thing. It just blows me away. This is how God's people are to respond. So I would ask you in closing, how are you seeing your life situation right now? Are you seeing it through the eyes of flesh or the eyes of faith? You know, we live in an area of Elkhart. It's a little enclave. It's called Ben Oak. And Jean can tell, tell me because she's encountered it too. We, we, we had a lot of complainers, a lot of complainers there. Um, and it's, it's, it's really not a bad part of town. It's just, um, it was a, about two years ago, they were, they were going to put another uh, recycling facility not far away. And man, these folks, uh, this classic thing about, you know, I'm, fine, I'll, I'll make the garbage, but not in my backyard kind of thing, hurts property values. And I had to just look at that and say, I, how are, you know, how's the believer seeing this? Should the believer be out there complaining about this? It's a negative in life. It could be by, uh, by some standard, but um, where's the Lord in this? We have to look beyond what we think is an inconvenience or something we don't like or something that drops our property values. Think about that. That's the selfish aspect, I think, of some of those folks that live in my neighborhood. And I, we had to grapple with that. But it's, 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 the, it's the right thing to do. And you know what? That wind sometimes blows the wrong way, and we smell it. 
And so how do you see when, 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 the, when the wind blows that way, that smell? Do you see an eyesore? Or do you see God's gracious, in, in my case, God's gracious provision for the trash that I make? It's a fair question. Seeing through the eyes of faith, something that everybody else is complaining about. And remember the man who likely wrote this psalm, David, and how God shaped his future from the moment he was anointed. Folks, from the time that Samuel anointed him in 1 Samuel 16 to the time that he took the kingship in 2 Samuel, do you know how long it was? Bill, you know. It's about 15 years from what I can tell. Am I about right? 15 years of hardship and bitterness. But then after he was king, the Lord reminded David of something in chapter 7, 2 Samuel. I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be my prince over Israel. In other words, you started with sheep. I prepared you over all this time and circumstance to shepherd a nation. And that's what God does in the life of the believer. That's why oftentimes he allows awful things to come into our life that we don't want. Things that aren't a result of our sin. It matures us, it grows us, it prepares us for the next phase of ministry. Aspiring leaders here, you would do well to go through some hardship because God works his will through that in some amazing ways. But the flip side of that is in dangerous times, we can easily flip into that fleshly mindset. We look at the situation around us. But let's pull it back. The Lord says to us, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties, Peter says, upon on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. And so in closing here, it's good that we look to these people who are anchors of our faith. And certainly the word of God and certainly the Lord in his word and his Holy Spirit uh, to anchor us in dangerous times. And let's dedicate ourselves to being those very people. You want a good, solid, stable, firm future for Cornerstone? I think this is where it starts. The mark of the mature believer. And so I would encourage you to reread that Psalm 112. Get a perspective from the Lord in that. And I think it'll help perhaps avoid some of that maybe personal or ministry drift that we're prone to at times. And it'll help us weather hard days like this. And you know what? It'll help us as well be a, a channel of blessing to others. You have been a channel of blessing to us. And it is an incredible privilege. I, I shared again with somebody today It was very hard for us to go from um, Gene and I to um, uh, contributing generously to missions to having it flipped around and having to ask. It was humbling, but it's an incredible privilege to be in God's channel and uh, for you to be a channel of his blessing. So consider that everybody in this pew, everybody, male, female, young, middle, old, Leadership, non-leadership, this is a message for everybody here. And what an encouragement we see in this word for these hard times. These are, these are hard times, but they are beautiful hard times because God has ordained them. These may be the extreme last days, maybe. Uh, if we believe in the imminency of the Lord Jesus and his return, uh, praise God. 
Uh, I hope it comes soon. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Uh, But if he tarries, um, this is our mark. This is our bar. And let's not let these things of life rob our joy. But um, we can weather these things in a way that honors God. And we can be blessings to others around us. We do it right. Let me close in prayer, and uh, then we'll have our final hymn. Father God, we thank you that in your word, not just in Psalm 112, Lord God, but sprinkled across the word of God. Father God, you are a sovereign God. You made this world. You hold it together by your will, Lord. And only, Father God, in the day of the Lord, as you return, does it fly apart. And until then, Father God, Lord, we are going to have moments of weakness. We are going to look at the news around us. We are going to uh, be prone to anxiety and fear over what's happening, Father. We're going to be prone at times potentially to compromise and maybe taking our eyes off you, Lord God, and your word and what your word clearly says. Oh, Father, help us. Lord, we, we need your perspective, Father. I pray that you would tether us and anchor us to your word. I pray, Father God, in in times of distress, times of physical weakness, times of physical disease, times, Lord God, when the student is under pressure to conform, to shut up, to change their mind on issues where you are very clear in your word, Lord God. Oh, Father, help us not to shrink back, but to be ready to take the shots. And Lord God, to cling to your word and to be ready to proclaim your word boldly and to live it well and to see your sovereign hand, Lord God, in both the good and the bad. And Lord God, when that bad news comes, we can look to you and say, Lord, I am casting my anxieties on you because you care for me, Lord God. Oh, Father, give us a right response, Lord, through the eyes of faith and not the eyes of flesh, Father God. Oh, you're a good God, Lord, and and we know we trust in your good purposes in all that transpires in and around us, Father. Help us to be believers who live out your word and people look at us, Lord God, and say there's a difference here. This is true faith. And help us, Lord, where we're weak. Give us strength and by your Holy Spirit empower us, Father, uh, for effective life, for effective ministry, for a church such as Cornerstone and and others, Lord, that will not waver from the truth. Thank you, Father God, in Jesus' name. Amen.